I think we can all agree that uh, feminists are among the worst people on earth. I think the list goes communists, Nazis, orcs, people who work for CNN, uh, rapists and killers, and then feminists. I think, I think that's the list. But the problem is they drive people so crazy that we start to react and we start to say stupid things. I am finding that is happening with the Harvey Weinstein scandal. We are going to talk about that, how to react to this insane campaign against men that feminists launch anytime there is any kind of a sex scandal. Also, we have the mailbag. Yeah. Great questions today. Stay tuned. Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is zippity-zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray! It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hurrah. All right, the mailbag is coming up. And, you know, we yesterday we did the conversation. It was like one gigantic mailbag. It, yeah, it went really well, I thought. And you can get that. You can go on iTunes and find that, our iTunes channel. Is yeah, that it? it's just a podcast in your feed. Excellent. And while while you're there, you might want to check out Another Kingdom. Me and Michael Knowles, our fictional podcast, go on. I think it's it's gotten, I don't know how many reviews it's gotten, over 70 last time I looked. They're all five stars. Uh, so you want to check that out. Sto- planted, <laughs> yeah, I have Yeah, and I didn't leave one. I don't know what Knowles is doing. I can't, I, look, I can't keep track of him every minute of the day. But it, a, a very cool story about a Hollywood, the failed Hollywood screenwriter who walks through a door, finds himself a murder suspect in this bizarre fantasy kingdom. I think it's a really cool story, and I think it gets even cooler. Here, if you want to be in the mailbag, you got to subscribe. It's a lousy 10 bucks a month, and you can ask questions about your personal life, religion, politics, anything you want. I will answer them. Answers are guaranteed 100% correct and will change your life on occasion for the better. If you subscribe for a year, it's only 100 lousy bucks plus. Come on. I mean, the leftist tears tumbler. Don't leave home without it because those left, you know, it's not right to drink leftist tears, but they taste so good. <laughs> you can't, you just can't stay away. Stamps.com. Before we start talking about Harvey Weinstein and what a slob, he, uh, what an alleged slob. I have to keep saying this. He's an alleged slob. He's not, he's an alleged piece of scum. He's an alleged accused dirtbag. He's not, you know, we can't just call him a dirtbag. He's accused, alleged. Stamps.com, however, is not alleged. It is an excellent, excellent service that will keep you from stopping in the middle of your day, driving to the post office, waiting online, hoping they've got what you want, hoping the guy behind the counter is a nice, decent human being. Don't have to do any of that because Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right into your computer. They just stuff them right in there, and there they are. Whenever you need them, you can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail using your own computer, and printerstamps.com makes it easy. They'll send you a digital scale They'll automatic, that will automatically calculate the exact postage. Stamps.com will even help you decide the best class of mail based on your needs. You know, I am, like, so absent-minded and... I won't say I'm disorganized, but I'm I'm very focused on one thing all the time. I have the opposite of attention deficit disorder. When I'm focused, I'm completely focused. If I have to stop and go to the post office, it just it just kills my whole day. Stamps.com gets rid of that. All you do, 
Go to Stamps.com, and right now you can enjoy their service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus postage, and a digital scale without long-term commitments. How do you do it? Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Clavin. What? It's K-L-A. I'll do it slow. K-L-A-V as in Victor, A-N, Stamps.com. Enter Clavin, and you'll never have to go to the post office again. I hate feminism. I got to say, you know, I hate feminism because for most human beings, our gender is part of the joy of life. You know, women being women and men. You know, the French, they say, vive la différence, you know. And the feminists are like, stamp out the difference, basically. Stamp out one of the key, it's one of the key joys of life, the fact that women are women and men are men. Most of us, I would guess, I don't know, some incredibly high percentage, 80, 85% of most of us, this is where we find our joy. This is what we like. We like girls to be girls. We like men to be men. A very, very small number of dissatisfied, angry women scream and yell at us, and it's toxic. It makes, it turns us against one another. It makes us wonder if ordinary things that people do in every society, like for instance, every single society has different kinds of work for men and women. Every single one. There's not a single society on, on earth where all, except maybe this one, where men and women do exactly the same thing. That's a universal, that's a human universal, and they make us question that and feel bad about it and feel that, oh, if, you know, if there aren't enough women fighter pilots, something is wrong, it must be bigotry instead of natural proclivity natural talents, natural things that we want to do. And the problem is feminists are so awful that we react against them. And people, I've seen this, especially in young guys who kind of grew up under feminism, this anger against women, as if women were feminists. And, you know, they conflate women and feminists. And it's just not, you know, right. we do this. Listen, I think we do this with gays too, by the way. You know, I mean, gay people, you know, are, are living their lives, doing their thing. It's it's obviously not my thing. It's probably not your thing, but they're doing their thing. And and then they, they want to teach, you know, in our kindergartens or whatever, they want to teach their kids that they're not really boys and girls, that they can change their gender, that homosexuality is a, a norm and all that stuff. So we react against gays as if that were all gay people, you know, where gay people are just trying to live their lives. So let's let's begin, let us begin our journey into how awful feminism is. So anyway, what I want to talk about is reaction, reactionaryism, and, and how we get lured into saying stupid stuff by the stupid stuff they say and by the normalization of the stupid stuff they say in the mainstream media. So the best place to begin if you're talking about the mainstream media is the op-ed page of the New York Times, a former newspaper, or as we like to call it, Knucklehead Row. Um, knucklehead row it, uh, today from Lindy West, okay? And we know, we know what we're going to think of Lindy West because she is the author of Shrill <laughs> Notes from a Loud Woman. So you know you're going to love this, right? So Woody Allen, also a guy who is alleged to have done some really bad sexual stuff and obviously ran off with his... I don't know what you'd call her. She wasn't his stepdaughter exactly, but she was the da adopted daughter of the woman he was living with. And he's been rationalizing it ever since. And Harvey Weinstein, one of the reasons Woody Allen still has a career because people were ready to kill him for this, one of the reasons is Harvey Weinstein. And Harvey Weinstein and Woody Allen defended Roman Polanski, the rapist of a 13-year-old child, you know? I mean, so it's like they're all in this thing together. And Woody Allen has the temerity when he was reacting to Harvey Weinstein. He says it's important. His first reaction was, you know, yeah, Harvey Weinstein is a sick, sad guy. I feel sad for him. Uh, like, I don't feel so sad for him, but this is Woody Allen. 
But he said it was important to avoid a witch hunt atmosphere where, quote, every guy in an office who winks at a woman is suddenly having to call a lawyer to defend himself. So that's from Woody Allen. So Lindy West, the author of Shrill, writes a, a column on Knucklehead Road, says, yes, this is a witch hunt. I'm a witch and I'm hunting you, okay? So that's the column. It says, when Woody Allen and other men warn of a witch hunt atmosphere, a Salem atmosphere, what they mean is an atmosphere in which they're expected to comport themselves with the care, consideration, and fear of consequences that the rest of us call basic professionalism and respect for shared humanity on some level to some men, and you can call me a hysteric, but I am done mincing words on this. There is no injustice quite so un naturally, viscerally grotesque as a white man being fired. Now, what this has to do with white people, because by the way, a lot of a preponderance of these charges, like on college campuses and all this stuff, are not against white kids. Anyway, Donald Trump and how he comes into it. All right, she's bringing Donald Trump in. Our predator-in-chief seems to view the election of Barack Obama as a white man being fired. <laughs> like... Like, you know, this is uh, this is like feminists proving that women can't be rational. You know, feminists can't be rational. He and his supporters are willing to burn the world in revenge. This whole catastrophic cultural moment was born of that same entitlement of Trump's paws and Weinstein's unbelted bathrobe of the ancient cycles of abuse that ghost wrote the Trump campaign's real slogan, if I can't have you, no one will. Setting aside the gendered power differential inherent in real historical witch hunts, pretty sure it wasn't all the rape victims in Salem getting together to burn the mayor. This, by the way, dumb, dumb. The Salem witch hunts were started by girls. Girls got hysterical. There was a, a slave named Tichuba who stirred them up with stories of voodoo and witch hunts and all this, and they got hysterical and started to charge people. The people who were charged were men and women both. When you look at the list of people who were executed and, and convicted of witchcraft, more women than men, but plenty of men as well. There weren't that many. I mean, there were too many. One is too many, but there were, weren't that many. But anyway, it's a, it's a stupid feminist meme. The hysteria of young girls is what set off the Salem witch hunts. Anyway, the pathetic gall of men feeling hunted after millenniums of treating women like prey. Now, let's stop right there, okay? Because that's sexism. That's actual sexism. That's like saying the, the gall of white men protesting against black abuses as if you, by the color of your skin, are condemned for bigotry. She's saying after millenniums, instead of millennia, of men treating women like prey, it is pathetic gall of, for men to feel hunted. But what if the man is innocent? Each man is an individual. So anyway, she finally says, I will let you guys have this one. Sure, if you insist, it's a witch hunt. I'm a witch, and I'm hunting you. But there is a witch hunt. I mean, feminists have stirred up a witch hunt, and they stirred it up from the very beginning. They told, they told young girls that they should have the same rights, as they call it, to have anonymous, uh, meaningless, feelingless sex as men do. And then women started to do that on college campuses and started to think, you know what? I don't feel so good about myself. And then they started to accuse men of, of raping them who maybe hadn't raped them or at least deserved a fair trial. Here in California... Jerry Brown, right, one of the poster children of old-fashioned leftism, just vetoed a bill. You remember that 
the Trump administration revoked Obama's dear colleague letter that was sent out to universities telling them that they basically had to take the word of anybody who accused a man, a young man, of sexual malfeasance, right? So the boy no longer had the right to go to the cops if he was accused of rape. He went before a kangaroo court, what they call now a Title IX kangaroo court, and he was thrown out of school without any way of defending himself. And these, guys, these kids had to sue if they had the money to sue. So uh, Trump rightly revoked that order, and the California legislature, uh, run by obviously all liberals, we don't have any Republicans in California, passed a law saying, no, we were going to reinstitute these Title IX show trials. And Jerry Brown, of all people, vetoed this bill. He said, thoughtful legal minds have increasingly questioned whether federal and state actions to prevent and redress sexual harassment and assault, well-intentioned as they are, have also unintentionally resulted in some college's failure to uphold due process for accused students. Due process includes the presumption of being innocent without a trial. So anyway, I'm, all I'm saying is the feminists say all this nasty stuff, right? Harvey Weinstein spends decades preying on actresses, preying on women, and now the feminists come out and they've got this hashtag Me Too. Have you guys seen this on Twitter? This is like every girl who's ever thought that she was abused is now making the story, making the story about Me Too, because God forbid there should be a new story and it's not about you as well. So it's everything is Me Too, it's, and it's annoying. It is really annoying. And so I've started to hear people a lot of people on left and right, just people on Twitter, but, but also commentators, saying, well, you know, why didn't these women come forward before? They were kind of making a devil's bargain with Harvey Weinstein by having their careers and not reporting this. And I said from the very beginning, I'm not going to call these women heroic for coming out 20 years after the fact and three Oscars and 15 movies after the fact and saying, oh, yeah, you know, I was abused because a lot of other girls were abused in that time that might have been stopped if they had all come out. But, but I am also, you cannot, cannot blame the women for not coming out. I mean, let me, let me just start with a hypothetical here for just a minute. Let's say a girl you care about, and I, you know, <clears throat> make it your daughter, say, God forbid, but let's say she is molested or attacked and she's shattered. And basically she's looking, if she wants to bring an accusation against the guy who did this, she is looking at 18 months, maybe two years of trial. She's looking at expenditures. She's looking at going out in public. She's looking at uh, testifying, you know, giving uh, depositions, maybe going into a public court case and accusing this guy. And here you've got this girl that you love, you know, she's related to you, you're married to her, whatever. And, you know, and she says to you, I can't do it. I've been raped. I'm already shattered. It's going to take me years to put my life back together. I cannot do it. Are you the Are you the guy who's going to say, you know, yeah, you got to do it because you got to stop the rapist from striking again? Well, you know, heroes heroes do that stuff. Heroes, heroines, they do that stuff. But not you cannot expect people to be heroes. That's what makes heroes heroes. They are exceptional people that these women should risk their careers. You know, let's let's go back for a minute. Remember uh, uh, Lauren Sivan, the uh, former Fox host? She told this story, and I bring this story up, first of all, because she tells it without sentiment. She doesn't break into tears. She it, it, It's it's a, a grotesque story. But let, let her tell it again. Let's play that Sivan uh, clip again. He cornered me in this vestibule and um, leaned in and, and tried to kiss me, which I immediately rebuffed and said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I had no idea that that's what this was. I'm sorry, you know, I have a very serious boyfriend and I'm not 
interested. And I thought it would end there. Mm -hmm. But that's when he blocked the entrance or exit for me and said, well, then just stand there and be quiet. And that's when I realized, oh. Did you know what was about to happen? No idea. No idea. Completely shocked. And yet, what is going to happen? Like, stand up and stand there and be quiet. I had no idea what was going to happen. And, and it, it happened very quickly. And what? he immediately um, exposed himself and, you know, began pleasuring himself. And I just stood there. Okay, now what happens if she goes to the cops, right? You think the cops, I, I mean, this is not against the police, but it's, it's a he said, she said operation. She hasn't been raped. There's nothing, there's no DNA on her. There's no evidence. You know, she's going up against one of them, a powerful guy with an array of lawyers. She's in show business. He can destroy her. What happens to her if she goes? You can't say to her, you know, go give up your career. And you cannot then say, oh, you know, you made a devil's bargain. That's ridiculous. That is absurd. The bad guy is the bad guy here. And let, you know, you want to know, talk about what happens to women who make accusations? Let's, let's take a look. You know, Hillary Clinton has been doing this kabuki of outrage about her friend, Harvey Weinstein. I mean, here's a woman who, who's friends with Harvey Weinstein. Her best friend is married to a serial abuser. She's married to a serial abuser, and, and she's going to be outraged. So no American reporter that I saw questioned her, made any comparison to Bill Clinton. Unfortunately, she then went to England, and the BBC, one of the most leftist organizations there is, actually had the guts to ask her the question. Here's her response. This kind of behavior cannot be tolerated anywhere, whether it's in entertainment, politics. Well, you know, after all, we have someone admitting to being a sexual assaulter in the Oval Office. There has to be a recognition that we must stand against this kind of... Uh, you know, action that is so mis sexist and misogynistic. And this depends upon women coming forward and having yeah. the courage to come forward. Right. And yet in your book, the three women brought onto stage mm -hmm. by Trump attacking your husband, and you kind of dismiss them. Was that the right thing to do? Are you sure about that? Well, yes, because that had all been litigated. I mean, that was the subject of a huge, uh, you know, investigation, as you might recall, in the late 90s. And uh, there were conclusions drawn, and that was clearly in the past. All right, we're going to get back to clearly that. To, no, 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 no. Those women don't count. Those women don't matter. We're going to get back to what she, Hillary, personally did to those women in just a second. But first, let, let me bring up Trump for just a second, because a lot of people on the left are saying, oh, you know, you're, you know, you on the right are saying, oh, Harvey Weinstein shows the corruption of the Democrat Party. He does. But you've got this guy in in the White House who has done all these bad things. And a lot of people on the right here, again, reactionary, a lot of people on the right are saying, well, you know, they have that Access Hollywood tape, but he didn't do anything on there. He just said stuff. Look, he's been charged by a lot of women, too. And obviously, nothing's been proved. He is also an alleged guy. But look into your heart for a minute. I mean, come on. You look at Donald Trump. I am sure that Donald Trump has done some truly offensive and disgusting things. I don't think he's a rapist. I don't believe he's a rapist. He doesn't strike me as that kind of guy. But I'm sure he's been very handsy with a lot of women, and I'm sure he is not clean in this. You know, I don't think he should be, uh, you know, impeached for anything he did before he came into the White House. But I'm not going to make excuses for him either. You know, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to react. These guys are out of line. They 
They are abusive. They are treating women abominably. And they treat people. This is the other thing about Harvey Weinstein. He treated people abominably. But let's talk about the women who came out against Hillary Clinton, because this is what I'm talking about. Linda Bloodworth Thompson, right? She is the TV writer. She did Designing Women, a very successful TV writer, big, big friend of Bill and Hillary, okay? She, she, she writes in The Hollywood Reporter, as more and more women have come forward, A-listers who are normally intrepid social injustice sniffers have scrambled to condemn Weinstein and announced they had no idea all this was going on. Some said this despite knowing him for decades, starring in his films and being friends with accusers who starred in his films. Okay, whatever. I myself, she says, was a member of a Let's Bring Harvey Weinstein Down lunch club, and I don't even work in features. However, I will be the first to admit that clearly delineated moral choices can still be painfully complex where friendship is involved. One of the best friends I will ever have, and a man I love dearly, former President Bill Clinton, has certainly taxed my feminist conscience, but always without diminishing my affection. I even helped write his apology to the nation for his own sexual misconduct, was sitting next to him when he delivered it and believed to this day it was based on something that was none of our business, namely his affair with Monica Lewinsky, because obviously it, there was, they were both uh, willing, even though the power differential was absurd. She says, yes, someday, some may call it hypocritical, but I confess to having had no problem warning at least three top-level Democratic operatives against allowing Harvey Weinstein to host political fundraisers, a warning that evidently fell on deaf ears. So Hillary knew. If Linda, uh, if Linda Thomason was, was say, talking about this to Democrats, and she's best friends with Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton knew about Harvey Weinstein, too. So all that stuff is just absolute nonsense. And while we're talking, this is the other thing. These women come forward and they, oh, it's all consensual. It's all consensual. She chased me. She chased me. Here are the three women that the BBC guy was talking about. Paula Jones, Kathleen Willey, and Juanita Broderick. Juanita Broderick says she was raped. Kathleen Willey, well, I'll come back. Let me come back to Kathleen Willey because that's a story in and of itself. But here are the three of them detailing the things that were done uh, to them in an interview with Breitbart. Uh, this is cut number, uh, you got it? Yeah, play it. Nine. This is what I would like to say. Rape, physical assault, sexual assault, sexual harassment. I want to say this to the mainstream media, Andrea Mitchell, Jake Tapper, all of these people. These are not infidelities. No. It's A rape is not an infidelity. These are crimes any other people would be in jail. Yes, they yes. would be. They would be in jail for a very long time. This is not any, this is no longer about infidelities, indiscretions, girlfriends, sex, interns, none of those. This is about a serial rapist, a predator, and his wife who has enabled his behavior yes. all of these Amen. years, she's taken personal betrayals and turned them into political opportunities, and it's just yes. that simple. Yeah, we three and are he, victims. He exposed himself to me. That's a crime. They're not supposed to expose yourself to people. These are not infidelities. You know, so all right, so that's that's Kathleen Willian. I'll talk some more about her and what happened to her in just a second. I got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Come on over to thedailywire.com, and you can hear the rest. And we've got the mailbag coming up, so you got to be there because otherwise you're going to still have the same problems you have right now. If you come on over and subscribe for a lousy ten bucks a month, you can be in the mailbag, and I will solve all your problems, and it will be a brand new day.
So Kathleen Willey was, uh, when Clinton was in the Oval Office, she visited him in the Oval Office. She was in trouble. Her husband was in financial trouble. She didn't know it, but even as this was happening, I believe, as I recall the story, he had, uh, he was found dead of a gunshot wound that is, has been deemed suicide. She has sometimes expressed suspicion that the Clintons had him killed. She went to Bill Clinton for help. He chased her around the room, molested her, all this stuff. Later, when she came out, and she was an ardent Democrat and an ardent friend of Bill, later when she came out and exposed him, she, sa she said that her cat disappeared. She went out, and a man was on the street and said to her, basically, how's your cat, a stranger? And she said, what do you mean? And he started asking her about her children by name and then said, you know, you're just not getting the, the message, okay? That's what happens to people. You know, this is real stuff. This is real stuff. And it happens, listen, well, you know what? I'll, I'll just show you, Alan, remember Alan Combs, the late Alan Combs, who was, you know, was Hannity and Combs when Hannity started out on Fox TV. Combs was the liberal guy. Listen to the way Combs treated Wiley when she's, Willie when she start, told the story. You mentioned the uh, being subpoenaed after all this. Yes. Now, let me put up on the screen what Robert Ray uh, said in uh, having, having investigated the situation of the independent counsel. He said, Willie's testimony to the grand jury about the alleged incident differed materially from your deposition testimony given in Jones versus Clinton. You said at your deposition that Clinton did not final you. The final report of the independent counsel in Madison Guarantee Savings and Loan regarding Monica Lewinsky and others, uh, that there was a difference in the things you said in those two different appearances. Why would Robert Ray say that? Robert Ray had an agenda. Robert he did. Ray wrote, yes. He wanted to run for Senate from New Jersey when this was over. He thought that, you know, he needed political. He wasn't friendly. a liberal, he wasn't a Democrat, I know appointed he wasn't. by Democrats. He also got arrested for stalking a woman, too, not many years ago, too. Well, does that have so, anything to do with this? Well, I don't know. Can I we, don't know anything we, about his arrest for stalking well, a woman. I do. So I'm just saying, you know, you go on TV and you're making charges against powerful people. Powerful people are going to cross-examine you. And listen, women lie. The reason they lie, they're people. People lie. So sometimes the accusations, that's why we have to have the presumption of innocence. I'm not saying that, that everybody who comes out and says something should be believed. I'm simply saying that when you start to blame these women because you get so angry at the feminists for mouthing off, when you start to blame the women for not coming forward earlier, you're losing the plot. You're losing the moral plot. When you start to defend Donald Trump because you like what he's doing politically, I like what he's doing politically. I'm really happy. You know, he's so much better than I feared he was going to be. I'm really happy with what he's doing politically. I am not going to defend him. I am not going to become one of the Clinton Clintonites who defended Bill Clinton for what he was doing because they wanted to protect abortion rights and so on. I'm not going to become a guy who defends Donald Trump for stuff he did to women that that's not happening you know that shouldn't you got to remember you got to remember who you are you got to remember who we are right you know and and by the way I just want to also say the reason another reason this is not a feminist issue this is a human issue this is an issue about power this is an issue about power this is an issue about people abusing power if there's one thing conservatives should be against if there was anything at the top of the list that conservatives should be against it's people abusing power what are we doing here if not trying to break up the centers of power so people don't abuse them why are we so mean that we're against welfare why are we so mean that we're against government health care because we know that when people have power Power, they abuse it, and that's why you cannot be taken down this garden path of reactionary behavior where you start to defend or attack the people who've been abused by the more powerful. And the thing I wanted to say is that 
there is a huge, huge gay pedophilia problem in Hollywood, too. We know this because actor after actor after actor has come out. Elijah uh, Wood, is that the guy's name? Elijah Wood said that there was there. And, of course, Corey Feldman has come out and made a big fuss about it. And this was making people very nervous. They were writing in Variety about how Hollywood guys were getting very nervous. But these guys are powerful and they are mean. I mean, they are rich. They've got lawyers. They've got people who are not lawyers who are much nastier than lawyers. These are mean guys. And so listen to what happened to Corey Feldman. She goes on with Barbara Walters, another, like, one of the icons of the left. Listen to what happens to him when he goes on and tells the story on The View. I'm saying that there are people that were the people that did this to both me and Corey yeah. that are still working, they're still out there, and they're some of the richest, most powerful people in this business. And they are And they do not want the... me saying what I'm saying right now. Are you saying that they're pedophiles? Yes. And that yes. they're still in this business? Yes. That's what, yeah, and that's what you were saying well, in your book. When you talk you to, talk about, yeah. when yes. you talk to parents, they want me here right now. Trust Corey, me. They there, want me dead. there are a lot of parents out yeah. here who want to put their kids in this in this business. They, their kids are cute. They're great actors. Da, da, da. What would you say to a parent who just has the best of intentions who's coming here with their child? Mm -hmm. If um, you're saying that there's a lot of predators in this industry. It's a many feathered bird. Okay? Be careful what you wish for. That's what I'll tell you. You know, don't go into it with naivety. Don't go into it thinking that it's all roses and You're sunglasses and an entire industry. I'm sorry, I'm not up. trying to. I'm just trying to say that it's a very important, serious topic. He's apologizing. She says to him, you're damaging an entire industry. He's telling her about kids being raped, you know, and she's not saying, oh, my God, the house is on fire. we got to do something about it. You know, let me just end this. All, all I'm trying to say is I know the feminists are annoying. I know they take stories like this and they turn them around and they make every man guilty and they poison the atmosphere and they poison the atmosphere between men and women and they make, you know, men walk in fear and it's just disgusting. It has nothing to do with men and women. It is only about power and power does manifest itself between men and women in different ways. But this is all about the abuse of power. And we as conservatives have got to stand with the people who are being abused, not with the powerful, not with the people who are abusing the powerful. I just want to end on one note. This uh, woman who did come out before the Harvey Weinstein thing, uh, her name is Kaya Jones. She was one of the Pussycat Dolls, I'm, you know, obviously yeah. this is not my kind of music, not what, not what what I know about, but she is a follower of Christ. She came out and she said that she just could not stand the way, you know, it's, it's really touching because girls, little girls, they love these bands, these power bands, the Spice Girls and all this stuff, and they represent glamour and power to, to little girls. But she said that they were, first of all, she said that basically they were being used as prostitutes. They were being told if they wanted a career, they had to sleep with anybody they were told to sleep with. She said they were being used to sell abortion. The ideas of abortion used to sell all these left-wing ideas. And she talks about why she eventually left and walked away from it. A uh, very touching little story. Let's, let's hear her. I felt that I wasn't normal when I said I wasn't okay with what was going on. And it wasn't in front of the camera. I was okay with being a sexy, powerful young girl, like a spice girl, if you will, which was my, you know, my growing up, they were my idols. And um, I had this like crazy wacky moment, you know, where I was performing at MGM Grand Garden Arena in Vegas and it was for Divas Live and Patti LaBelle's wailing and we're going on after Patti LaBelle and there was these two little girls in the front row and I was coming through the audience, only me and one other girl, the rest of them were coming up on a riser. And um, there were two little girls and one was like four years old and she went, <gasps> She's a pussycat doll. She was so excited to, to see us, and um, that was her reaction to me, and I just knew in that moment I couldn't do it, you know, because 
this isn't this isn't what I would want any little girl to be what we was being pushed on us and what I was going through at that moment in time and what we had just endured backstage and so it was a lot of the back end that I wasn't okay with okay so there's so there's somebody who remembered who she is and we have to remember who we are I mean I really I know the feminists are annoying but we cannot blame the women in this I'm not saying they're heroes for coming out 20 years later I'm just saying they're victims they're, they are the victims of of uh, uh, of alleged abuser Harvey Weinstein, and we gotta gotta remember who the bad guys and good guys are. The mailbag. Uh oh, there it is. <laughs> a little slow on the Lindsay uptake there, but all right. From Benjamin Andrew, over the past year or so, I've noticed my sister, who is 19, has become very depressed and gained about 100 pounds. Although the weight gain is the result of the depression, not the cause, I think, I believe that dropping some weight would be a great help to her confidence and in turn, hopefully, her mental health. That being said, I simply can't get her to do it. Even when she has time, her response is, I don't feel like it or some variation thereof. Any advice? Am I going about this wrong? Am I overstepping my boundaries as a brother? Thanks, Ben. Well, first of all, Ben, I'm, I'm really happy you care about her. I'm, I'm glad you are, you know, paying attention to the fact that she's depressed. Yes, you are going about this wrong. Uh, people who are overweight don't need you to tell them they're overweight. They know they're overweight. They feel bad about it already. Nagging them doesn't help. Bothering them about it doesn't help. They already know the problem. It sounds to me like she is depressed, and that is a different problem. And that is a problem you can help her with in a number of ways. First of all, go to her and talk to her about a depression. Stay off the weight thing. It's none of your business, and it's not. it just isn't helping. Go and talk to her about why she's depressed. Sometimes, sometimes people who are depressed just need somebody to talk to them because something has happened or they're worried about something or they've got something on their minds and, and just being with them and, and listening to them and hearing them out can really help. If in your judgment you think that it's worse than that, that something really bad is happening and gaining 100 pounds is a bad symptom, you know, then she may need therapy. She may need to go and talk to somebody professionally who can help her. But attack the depression, not the weight, uh, and, and be with her and talk to her and don't judge her. Don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to solve her problems. You don't have to solve her problems. You just have to hear what her problems are and listen to her and spend some time with her. I'm glad you care about her. It's really, it's, it's great that you care about her, but bugging her about her weight isn't going to help. From Jenna, Supreme Leader Clavin, I read your book, The Great Good Thing, and loved it. I'm, that's nice to hear, and I hope everyone who's listening will read The Great Good Thing and love it. Uh, it is my memoir of how I became a Christian. It's called The Great Good Thing, A Secular Jew Comes to Faith in Christ. I was wondering if you could give more insight into the practice of prayer. I have gotten into a lifelong bad habit of only praying to God when I need something. How do I change this? Thank you. Uh, yeah, you know, prayer is the bulwark of everything. I think it is uh, one of the most important things you can do in your day. And I've said this before. I did a funny video about this once, uh, Find God in 60 Days. And what I, what I said is, look, find some time every day, even if it's only five to ten minutes, in which you can be alone and talk to God out loud. And the reason I say out loud is because you finish your sentences when you talk out loud, and when you only think things to yourself, the sentences trail off and get kind of, you get distracted, you go into daydream mode. But if you're speaking out loud, then, you know, you can hear, you can follow your own thoughts. And my personal policy, you know, is let it be a, a journey of exploration. Don't pray in ways that you think you're supposed to pray. Pray, talk. 
to God. God, he already knows. He already knows. There's nothing so bad you can't tell him because he already knows, right? You got no secrets. You're in a place. You're in a place where you got no secrets. You got no power. You got nothing. You got nothing. You are going to God. You know, so like you can say just about anything you want, even if you're angry at God, even if you're feeling something you don't feel you should be feeling. All those things are already exposed. You're already exposed. And so go and talk to him about it, and talk to him about the things you care about, the things you want, the things you desire, the things that bother you, the things you're afraid of. Talk to him about your real life. This is not a ritual. This is not religion. I think one of the things that I think Jesus came to do was destroy religion. You know, people are always, you know, people, religious people, religious authorities are always railing against, you know, drinking and sex and sin and all this stuff. Read the Gospels. Jesus doesn't do that so much. You know who he rails against? Religious authorities. I mean, the things that he really goes after. He rips the religious authorities continually. And he, said, and he says to them, you slam the door in the face of, you slam the door to heaven in the face of people. Uh, don't let this happen to you, as, as the old saying goes. Uh, so Jenna, go and talk to him. Talk to him every day. You know, you know like even if it's five, 10 minutes, uh, if you do it alone, out loud, you will find your life will change. And for the better, you know, that's so we're talking to me, maybe it'll be for the better. Talking to God, it'll be for the better. It is, it is, I think, essential. I would rather, if I had to give up going to church or praying, I would give up going to church. Luckily, I don't have to do either, but that would be the first thing to go. Uh, all right, from Becky. Um, sorry. Uh, yes, I used to attend the occasional Tea Party event several years ago, but was never clear on why the Tea Party died out. A left-leaning friend suggested that the movement had been hijacked by the Republican Party, but I wasn't sure if that was correct. What, in your opinion, happened to the Tea Party? Thanks, Becky. Uh, well, here's what happened, in my opinion. First of all, Barack Obama did a really good job of suppressing the Tea Party through the IRS. He really hounded them. He didn't let them uh, get tax-exempt status so they couldn't raise money. He really made it difficult for them to talk out. Plus, I know for a fact that the mainstream Republicans, the Repu what they call the GOPE, the GOP establishment, was actively hostile toward them. I spoke with some of the leaders of Congress in a, a private setting. I, I one of them, I, I will tell you, was Boehner. I talked to them, and they basically said, we're going to use these people and ride their wave without giving them what they want, basically. That's what they did. And the Tea Party started out, uh, started to try and recruit candidates. We talked about this a little bit uh, yesterday. They got people who couldn't make it on the national stage. That was very disappointing. I think now what has happened is they have been subsumed into the Donald Trump movement. I think Donald Trump has picked up all those Tea Party votes. I think the reason people turn to Donald Trump is because guys like Boehner weren't listening to them, weren't hearing what they were. Mitch McConnell was constantly hitting the Tea Party. He would say, well, I'm hitting the Tea Party because they're not the re a lot of people are going under the aegis of the Tea Party without being Tea Party. But I basically think they are now the Trump movement. I think the people who were the Tea Party are the Trump movement. They were, I loved the Tea Party, but I do think that they were a little bit in cohate, they were a little bit in chaos, and they didn't really know how to make the, the organization. Plus, the President of the United States used the most powerful agency in the country to suppress them, the IRS. Um, from, here's a greatness, a guy named Storm. I wrote, I wrote a novel called The Uncanny with a guy named Storm, which I always like. Uh, 
Hey, Big Daddy Drew. <laughs> I don't think I have that business card. In the name of October and the ghoulish holiday of Halloween, what are some classic movies you recommend watching? Uh, great question. I, I have said this a, a million times, but I'll say it again. I'm not a horror movie fan. I am a ghost story fan. I love ghost stories. I love creepy stories. I don't really love bloody stories. The one big exception is the original Night of the Living Dead, which is one of the most terrifying movies I ever saw, and it is gorgeous beyond anything. My, the films that I love are uh, subtle. And every time I say this, people immediately go to The Others uh, with Nicole Kidman, but I don't like The Others because it's not scary. It's subtle, but it's not scary. Try a movie called The Innocents. You know, modern audience, it's, it's going to be a little subtle for modern audience, very subtle, but it's based on a great, great Henry James short story, short novella called The Turn of the Screw about, it's been made about 15 times. I mean, it's been made into movies like a dozen times, but The Innocence is written by Truman Capote, and it's got Deborah Carr, and it is just great. It is about a... Um, it's about a governess, a British governess sent to a house to take care of two kids and what happens when she gets there. That is a good movie. Another one you may not have seen is called Lake Mungo. That is a, I think it's, I think it's New Zealand, maybe Australia, but it's New Zealand, Lake Mungo. It is a found footage uh, picture, like uh, Paranormal Activity, uh, very spooky little ghost story. Paranormal Activity, also a great movie. The Ring, great ghost story movie. Those are famous ones, so I'm not mentioning those. Also, there is a movie called Horror Hotel, and it's about, I would say, the first 20 to 25 minutes are some of the scariest things I've ever heard. It's, that's not the uh, name of it. In, if, if, can you look it up for a minute, uh, Austin? Because uh, it's got a British name, too. Uh, City the, of the Dead? Well, City of the Dead, I think that's it, yeah. But anyway, for 20 to 25 minutes, it's absolutely great. And then it falls apart. It kind of unravels. But it's not terrible, but it just kind of unravels. Um, one more. I will do one more question. Oh, Christopher Lee's in that. Yeah, Christopher Lee's in it. Yeah, no, no, it's a terrific. It's the first twenty. I saw it when I was ten years old. It kept me up for weeks. I mean, I could not go to sleep for weeks. And uh, but it's it's really scary when it starts, and then that falls apart. But those are good Halloween, some good Halloween movies. I love reading ghost stories. If you haven't read The Little Stranger, the novel The Little Stranger, that's a, a very good one too. Uh, and of course, there's Shirley Jackson, The Haunting of Hill House, which became the, the movie The Haunting, also a good movie. Not the new one, the old one, the one made in the 1960s, is uh, Black and White, The Haunting, also very, very good ghost story movie. Uh, from Ryan, dear Overlord Clavin, first of his name, king of the normies, and best among men. My wife and I have been married for nine days. Congratulations. I know she would like to one day have children. I, however, would not. I can't. <laughs> I'll tell you why I'm laughing in a minute. I cannot seem to come to terms with the financial and emotional burden this would put on our relationship. I cherish what we have and fear change. Should I accept the Lord's word and just have children or foster our relationship and offer our Lord a long, happy marriage in his love? Uh, well, don't let's not drag God into this. This is between you and your wife. You're writing me. Uh, the reason I'm laughing is you're writing me ten days too late. <laughs> you know? I mean, didn't you talk? Didn't you guys talk about this before you got married? I mean, don't you talk to the girl you're going to marry about whether you want to have children or not? I mean, obviously, obviously, you should not have children if you don't want them. You don't want to bring unwanted children into the world. I would, I would argue if I were like your buddy, I would argue with you that fearing, you know, uh, what's there's an old expression my father used to like. Uh, every child comes with, it, comes into the world bearing its own loaf of bread, and it is true. When your children arrive, you take care of them. You learn, you you make the money that you need. 
you know, I, I love kids. I loved having kids. I found that having kids added a third dimension to life. I had thought I was living in three dimensions after I had children. I thought, no, I, all that time I was living in two dimensions, and I only saw reality. I only knew what it meant to be a human being. I only knew what it meant to be a man. But if you don't want to do it, do not do it. But you got to talk to your wife about this because she may not want to spend her whole life childless. She may really want those kids, and you may have to make a decision there. I mean, maybe, you know, it's only, you're only nine days in. Maybe you've got to bail but you really should have talked to her about this 10 days ago before you got married. So I think she should know. I mean, she should know. And you shouldn't let yourself be talked into having children you don't want. I, I would definitely reconsider. But I think you've got to let her know that that's where you are. A lot of good questions. i got to stop. That's just all there is to it. I have got to stop. Uh, all right. Good mailbag. We'll do it again next week. Uh, you know, it's time for tickety-boo news before we leave. All right, I was going to do I was going to do a long story about the Russian scandal. There's a new story in the Hill today about the fact that before the Obama administration approved a controversial deal in 2010 giving Moscow control of a large swath of American uranium, the FBI had gathered substantial evidence that Russian nuclear industry officials were engaged in bribery, kickbacks, extortion, and money laundering designed to grow Vladimir Putin's atomic energy business inside the United States, according to government documents and interviews. Great story on the Hill. You should look it up. We want to see that. But I have to, I just want to point out, Tickety-Boo News is about ways to read the news. Yesterday, Tucker Carlson had Glenn Greenwald on. And Glenn Greenwald is a fiercely left-wing writer for The Guardian. And they were talking about a Russian, uh, the latest Russian story, which has turned out to be nothing, which was that the Russians hacked some of our voting machines. And this was got big headlines and then again turned out to be untrue. Virtually every story about the Russians, insofar as it involved Donald Trump, turned out to be untrue. And Tucker Carlson said, you know, the press is being manipulated, and Greenwald, Tucker Carlson obviously on the right, and Greenwald on the left, he said they're not being manipulated, they like being manipulated, and here's why, and gave one of the best descriptions how mo about how modern journalism works. Listen to this. Over and over, they publish really inflammatory stories that turn out to be totally false. And what happens in those cases? Nothing. They get enormous benefits when they publish recklessly. They get applause on social media from their peers. They get zillions of retweets, huge amounts of traffic. They end up on TV. They get applauded across the spectrum because people are so giddy and eager to hear more about this Russia and Trump story. And when their stories get completely debunked, it just kind of everybody agrees to ignore it and it mo everyone moves on and they pay no price. At the same time, they're feeding and pleasing their sources by publishing these stories that their sources want them to publish. Um, and so there's huge amounts of career benefits and reputational benefits and very little cost um, when they publish stories that end up being debunked because the narrative they're serving is a popular one, at least within their peer circles. Well, that's good for Glenn Greenwald. I mean, he is an actual left-wing journalist. You know, he's left-wing, but he is an actual journalist, and he doesn't like seeing his pr profession being degraded, which is, is being. And part of it is because of this uh, niche culture we're living in, where we all sort of stay in the same news. I often joke that, you know, some of these things, some of these apps that curate the news for you. I start out reading conservative news and finally they start feeding me back articles I wrote. So I'm literally talking to myself, you know. So so I think in, in that uh, system, the New York Times can publish good left-wing journalism and bad left-wing journalism and they never suffer for it. The one thing they can't do is attack left-wing Democrat uh, 
politicians because then they lose their readership. And since this is a business, nobody wants to do it. Every time I open my mouth and say, oh, you know, Donald Trump probably did chase some women around the room, you know, the people who love Trump and don't want to hear any bad things about him are going to leave. That is supposed to encourage me to keep my mouth shut, which obviously I don't. But still, but still, you know, that that is a, a very big um uh, a very big uh, motivating force in journalism today is having the people who love you love you. And what Greenwald is saying is right now on the left, that is just the, the engine, a powerful engine behind this spate of fake news, this hate that is coming after Trump. I, I, the only thing I can say is I think they're making a mistake because I don't think most people in America want to live in a cesspool of hate, uh, even against Donald Trump, even if they don't like Donald Trump. All right. We'll be back again. I think Lee Smith is coming on tomorrow. Excellent, excellent writer. And that was 400 episodes. <laughs> is it 400 episodes? Yeah. Really? Yeah. See, if Lindsay were here, there'd be balloons, there'd be like confetti. All I get from you is, hey, it's 400 episodes. Well, yeah. I didn't want to tell you to the end because I didn't want to jinx it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, wait, wait. Uh, that Was this 400 or tomorrow? This is 400. This is 400. Happy 400th episode. Wow, wow. We've come a long way. Yeah. We started out in Jeremy Boring's pool house, right, doing f five, 10, 15-minute uh, podcasts. And now we're still in And now, <laughs> but, but, but he's just, he just keeps building it up. He's building it up. All right, I'm going to go swimming, but I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. We will see you again tomorrow.